to a world where everyone and their sister has a podcast comes another one. Join us weekly as we explore the dark back alleys of irreverence and the spider-infested corners of nerdkind. This is the Irreverent Nerd Podcast. Holy shit. (laughs) I just saw the Batman. And it was amazing. I am standing out here in the dark on my deck. Because somehow that just seems fitting. I'm not in like pitch dark. I live in the city, so there's city lights. Which, as I said, seems fitting after watching a movie that takes place out on the streets of a city. Yes, in some buildings, but like, oh my. The best Batman movie ever made. (laughs) And that's, you know, I don't think my opinion is going to change tomorrow after I've had some time to process the movie. And I'm like, oh, well, they could have done that better. There's always going to be something. Oh my god, the best Batman movie ever made. I was blown away. I expected it to be good, because I'd heard good things about it. But it, man. (laughs) It It was like I got pulled into Gotham City, and it was like I became a resident of Gotham City. And I was walking around with the Batman. Right there. The cinematography was amazing. I loved how intimate it was. I mean, you got right up and personal with Batman and Bruce Wayne and the other characters. Obviously, it helps watching it on IMAX screen. (laughs) But still, even so, it's like right there with him. Robert Pattinson knocked it out of the park. Like, somehow... Like, you feel the rage. You see the intelligence. Definitely the best presentation of Batman as a detective of any of the live-action movies. By far. You know, there have been some animated movies or animated episodes that did a good job portraying him as such. Live-action movies haven't even come close to this level until this movie. Amazing. You could see the intelligence as he's working out problems. He's he's just sullen enough and yet somehow vulnerable. Like I, I, Robert Pattinson more the only other actor who's come close to this is Christian Bale. Uh, you know live action but Robert Pattinson man he he made me feel at times like there was a little 10 year old boy walking around in that bat suit who was just screaming with the pain of his parents being murdered screaming at the world and incredibly vulnerable but trying so much to be strong and to protect other little boys from harm 
by the way, before we go any further, spoiler warning, um, I'm going to talk about plot points in the film, you know, I know this is like an instant reaction review, but yeah, spoiler warning, so if you haven't seen it yet, go see it, don't spoil it for yourself, go see it, you will not regret it. I don't care if you like Batman or not. Go see it. This is an amazing movie. I, I think it should be nominated for Best Picture come Oscar time. <sighs> it might be tough, given that it's coming out in March. And obviously, that's not necessarily what they're aiming for. But it should be. Absolutely. should be nominated come Oscar time. If it's not, I'm going to be pissed. Doesn't mean it has to win, but it needs to be nominated. Fuck yes. needs to be nominated. So, as someone who has read a decent amount of recent Batman comics, like, particularly graphic novels from the last 20 years, I was seeing echoes of The Long Halloween, one of my favorite um, storylines in the comics for Batman. I was seeing, I think there's two parts to that, but I was definitely seeing echoes of The Long Halloween. Uh, There was a little bit of hush in there another excellent series in the comics um and some batman year one and year two i loved the relationship that batman and jim gordon had it's like they were partners you know and they they did nolan did a good job of portraying that but i felt it even more and some of it is is the nature of this movie like this was absolutely like a it was like a police procedural, but with Batman along, you know what I mean? It's, a, you know, a procedural crime drama. And, oh, man, so good. Jeffrey Wright is an amazing actor. When I found out he was going to be Commissioner Gordon, I was like, yes. And I have to admit, this is better than The Dark Knight. You know, I think Dark Knight was my number one Batman movie. Definitely live action, number one, up until this point. But this has surpassed it. And based on all the hype I was hearing, I was like, I, ex- I, I thought I probably would. But I was reserving judgment until I saw it. And yeah. Now, it evoked some similar themes. Um, there's a few beats with the rhythm that reminded me of like the plotting and scheming of, of the Joker in the Dark Knight. And just some of the themes that are hit on are similar. Which obviously, you know... The Dark Knight and, and Nolan's works were influenced by some of the same comics, like The Long Halloween uh, in particular. So it makes sense that there'd be some, some echoes there. But I like that they used the Riddler in this. I thought it was perfect for the like this, this crime procedural. like They're solving puzzle after puzzle of this serial killer. And I love that the Riddler was complex as well. Like He's not just... And, and until you get towards the end, and again, spoiler warnings, until you get towards the end when he puts the Gotham populace at large at risk, he's just attacking corrupt leaders who have who have done tremendous harm. Now, the way he does it is is despicable, you know, uh, particularly the first murder of the mayor. You know, he gets murdered in his own house. And his son finds him, oh man, like that scene with Batman and the boy, it's like, they made like a 
soul-to-soul connection there. And then it is kind of echoed later at the memorial service in the mayor when Bruce Wayne is there at the, you know, is at at the memorial service and he locks eyes with the mayor's son again. And I liked, I liked the twist. And I'm assuming this comes from the comics as well. I'm not familiar with this particular storyline, but where Thomas Wayne was running for mayor and part of what got him killed was running afoul of Carmine Falcone. Again, if I haven't already told you, spoiler warnings. That that was fascinating to me. And I love I love the interplay between Falcone and the Moroni family that, you know, but Fal- Falcone's a very interesting character in The Long Halloween. Um I liked the way like his story was told and the way you, you get to you kind of get up close and personal with with the Falcone family. Sorry, my cell phone light was on in my pocket. I started feeling my leg warm. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, man. So I'm going for 30 minutes on this one. I know it's an instant reaction, but this movie is so amazing, and I want to really capture how I feel about it, uh, process it as I'm talking to you here. Um, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Like, man, like... What what I love about podcast episodes like this is it, it like gives me new perspectives, helps me think through. Sometimes it pisses me off, you know, because like some people will have opinions about a movie that I really liked, and then they don't like it. Then you know, especially if I've been listening to their podcast for a while, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, now I don't like that movie as much anymore because of what he said or that part of it. But at the end of the day, it, it enriches our experience, like to hear what other people have to say about movies, right? Man, there there's a reason why Batman is my favorite comic book character. And, and the same, I think, it's probably fair to say that he's he might be the most popular comic book character in the world. That might be fair to say. I'd say, you know, he's probably definitely up there. Like him and Spider-Man, like, you know. Superman, I, I'm sorry, man. You're just, you're too boring. Like you're too perfect. <laughs> I know they've made attempts in the comics and in the movies to to um, make that more interesting. I'm not saying I hate Superman. I don't. But Batman's always been more interesting than me. Um, I mean, obviously he's the most vulnerable member of the Justice League because he's he has no superpowers other than his his rage and his intellect, and obviously his wealth is helps. <laughs> um, you know, but his his rage more than anything drives him you know his his rage and his and his desire to keep anyone from experiencing what he experienced as a kid you know his his empathy really his rage and his empathy are driving him in, in so many ways like his rage at the harm that was done to him and his rage he directs that though because of his empathy for others, humans, and his desire to not see the same harm come to them. He directs that rage at criminals who are doing the same. And yes, some of it is out of vengeance, him wanting vengeance for what happened to his parents. But I love at the end, oh my god, such, oh man. So the ending, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump around here, sorry. But the ending with, um, 
this is an instant reaction podcast. It's not a procedural, you know, scene by scene breakdown of the movie. Um, the ending of Gotham Square Garden, you know, where Batman's up on the roof and he's carrying um, an injured um, Gothamite over to a stretcher so she can be picked up by a helicopter from the National Guard. And, and as he's narrating, and the narration was perfect, like the it was perfectly placed. There was just enough. It wasn't overdone. It was, yeah, it was, it was really, I, I liked it. I liked it. And, and, and that fits along with the comics, too, because you have that kind of stuff in the comics. Like, you'll have narration from, from Batman in, in the comics. Like, like, kind of when there's, like, segues in between different scenes or acts of the storyline. You know, there'll be some narration. It'll give you maybe some backstory to him or just, just his, his thoughts, like where he's at, his headspace, that kind of thing. He gets waxes philosophical sometimes. Um, I, I love I love that stuff, and I, I thought they did just enough of that. But then he talks about the fact, as he's carrying that woman, you know, there's, there's narration where he says, Vengeance is not enough. I have to become more. And you're seeing him, you're seeing the boy growing up right there, and, it, and it's beautiful. And, you know, man, like, Robert Pattinson, yeah, it just, the vulnerability he shows. Man, you just, you just feel for him him so much it's like you're there with him physically emotionally I mean obviously the the cinematography is like right there and so much of it so many good choices made in this like like they I don't know what type of lens they use but there's a number of scenes where like just the center of the frame was in focus and on the edges was was blurred like that was used I think quite a bit to I, I really liked that effect at first I was like I was like wait is he recording with is he recording? Did he record on film? I actually still wonder that. I was like, um, if he recorded on film, if he did, like, I was like, that's perfect. Uh, but if he didn't, it was definitely some form of digital cinematography that that mimicked that in some way. I loved it. I loved the grittiness of that. It's, at first, I was like, it's like, wait, is this not like, <laughs> is this not 4K? You know, <laughs> it's not HD. But I was like, no, wait a minute, this is perfect. You know. The, the grittiness it really captures the grittiness of the city but the intimate moments are center frame clip you know plenty clear enough to capture the emotions of, of the actors and stuff like yeah oh man like and and, and the whole city's kind of like that you know like Gotham is is blurry you know there's there's a lot of a lot of corruption in Gotham, and, yeah, um, oh yeah, another, another, and I think I had heard this somewhere, but I definitely saw it, um, another really good storyline in the Batman comics is The Court of Owls, uh, I've read that graphic novel as well, um, not the whole series, but I think the first one I've read, like, and what's great about, like, The Court of Owls and the Hush series is that they, they really tie into Bruce personally. Like these, these things hit home 
with, with Bruce, uh, in a, in a way that some of the other storylines don't always like it, it gets really up close and personal, which this movie did as well. And I loved that about it. And, uh, so yeah, but definitely, definitely some, some elements of the court of owls, like this high level conspiracy in the city, uh, different, obviously I thought they might go there. They ended up tying it into Carmine Falcone as kind of like the, the mob boss, you know, at one point a character says, you know, no, no, Carmine Falcone is, is the mayor. He's been the mayor for 20 years. You know, others have been his puppets basically that he installed, you know, going back to his decision to kill Thomas and Martha Wayne, or at least they leave that a little ambiguous, which I was a little frustrated with. I actually liked where they were going with that. Like the idea that, that Carmine Falcone may have been directly responsible for the deaths of Bruce's parents. Like I actually kind of like that. I like that better than the Joe chill, just a dude out wanting to rob people. The fact that there, there was something. So I liked that they played around with that and, and they leave it open you know, as Alfred's like, you know, I wish I could know for sure. You know, they kind of leave it open. Uh, which initially was a little disappointing, but I understand why they do that. They, they want to leave that that line open, you know, probably for future narratives. So we'll see where they go with that. Um, it was obviously a very deliberate choice to play around with that for a while, but then have Alfred say what he said and then leave it a little bit ambiguous as to whether... Carmine actually ordered the hit on Thomas and Martha. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of little hits. And I've heard, I think he's got a trilogy plan, which I hope one comes out a year. I hope. I hope we don't have to wait more than a year for the next one, but we'll see. Um, man, that would suck. Ah, this movie's so good. Ah, I want more of it. Um, somebody told me it was three hours long, but it wasn't three hours. It wasn't, well, actually, no. If you include the, I guess the the runtime, the actual runtime is less than three hours. But if you include like the previews, like like from the showtime to the time it wrapped, it was roughly three hours. But you know, there's always like twenty minutes of previews first um, for most of these blockbusters. Um, but I missed them because I was I was running late. So I, I missed the very beginning. Um, I think it when I came in, it was on the the subway with the. Uh, they, they kind of look like Joker clones or something like that. Some kind of gang. Oh, with painted faces. Speaking of the Joker, um, pretty sure, again, spoiler warning is amok. Uh, running amok here. Um, I'm pretty sure that the man in the cell at Arkham, right next to Riddler at the end, is meant to, or at least we're meant to think that it's the Joker. Um, I think you see enough of his face that it's not just one side that's scarred, but it, it's a little ambiguous. It's like, is this Two-Face? Is this the Joker? But then then with the maniacal laugh, it's not the distinctive Joker maniacal laugh, but it's still some type of... But it's like... It's, so it's left a little ambiguous. You know, it's like, it could be Two-Face. It's probably more likely to be the Joker. I heard some rumors that the Joaquin Phoenix Joker was going to be tied in with this world but it, that doesn't look to be the case because this not did not take place in the 70s um at least it didn't seem like it it's kind of typical with batman films there's kind of a, a mix because there was like some 80s like taxi cabs and stuff hanging around 
Uh, but yet some of the tech was obviously more modern, like, and some of the other cars were more modern. So it's really interesting, interesting production design choices. Like, the, the Batman universe is often like that, though. It merges time period sometimes with the production design. I kind of like that. It kind of, it's like, you know, because it's not supposed to be literally our world, if you will. So I like when they play around with that a bit. Okay, so I got 10 minutes left. I definitely want to talk about the relationship between Batman and Catwoman. So, oh man. (laughs) Definitely by far the best on-screen romance in any Batman movie. Hands down. Like, yeah, honestly. Like, including animated, like, it was excellent. Nothing else comes close. Like, definitely not Katie Holmes. <laughs> and, you know, Maggie Gyllenhaal. I, I like Maggie, but... Wasn't a big fan of her performance in The Dark Knight, honestly. She was better than Katie. I think it's fair to say. But yeah, this... And it's not It's not that Zoe Kravitz is a better actress than... Maggie Gillen, Gyllenhaal, like I, I don't think she is. It's Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal? I, I honestly forget. Anyway, they're both excellent actresses, but the way it was written and directed and edited, so much better in this one. Like, there's just enough sexual tension there, but they never, they don't give you a payoff with it. You know, they don't, they don't hook up, which I liked that actually. I was like, it's like. You know, maybe they're saving that for another movie. You know, but I liked that they didn't go there. You know, and that was kind of the the back and forth, like playing that game. You know, that's more traditional to Batman and Catwoman's relationship. But it really cool. Like I loved how how initially, like he, she, I thought they did a good job of bringing her into the storyline. She had connections to to what Batman was investigating so he started investigating her found one of the missing women and and as he followed her that woman was then abducted and then they get into it together like initially like he asks for her help and and she agrees because she wants to find her friend and help her friend and you know and then obviously they they come to like each other share a few kisses um I thought it I thought it was handled perfectly like it was, I really, really enjoyed the the relationship there. Like I said, there was just enough play. Now that I compare, I do think, and again, this is not because I'm saying Zoe Kravitz is a better actress than Anne Hathaway, or oh, and I I need to look up her name, but the the actress who played Selena Kyle slash Catwoman in the animated series did an excellent job. Her voice acting was amazing. Uh, I've never bothered to see the Halle Berry movie. Uh, I think Halle would forgive me for that. <laughs> um, I've just heard so many bad things about it. I have not bothered. And to be honest with you, I was... Now, I, someday I will revisit it, but I was not impressed with Michelle Fiverr's performance. But I was disappointed. Like, you know, it... You know, and I'm not knocking Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, she's a she's a good actress. Like, I, I really liked her in Ant-Man recently. I thought that was... Her role there was excellent. I've enjoyed her in other things. But... After getting spoiled on the animated series growing up, uh, comparing her to the actress who, and just the the writing, the acting of um, 
the woman who was the animated series Catwoman, I was like, no, nah, not as good. Sorry. You know, which I think may have predated Batman Returns. So the animated series, I think, started either right before, I think, 91. I don't know if Catwoman was in the episodes before Batman Returns came out. I'm not totally sure. But regardless, she's a better Catwoman than Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. But yeah, just all around, like, Zoe Kravitz, excellent performance. But it's it's also the writing, the directing, the cinematography. All so much better. Sorry, Tim Burton. Like... I enjoy some of your stuff. You know, and I know, and, and once again, obviously Matt Reeves is, is building on a legacy, you know, and Tim Burton was an important part of that. Like, he got the ball rolling. We wouldn't have, we might not have a movie like this had there not been Batman and Batman Returns. You know, I kind of wish there hadn't been Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. <laughs> I'm sure George Clooney wishes there hadn't been Batman and Robin either. Um, <laughs> uh, but thankfully, uh, Christopher Nolan came along and resurrected the live action Batman world, um, with Batman Begins. Like when I saw that, that was one of the, believe it or not, that was, even though I'm almost 40, that was one of the first movies I saw in the theater. Cause I, uh, as I mentioned in my, uh, currently unavailable original first episode where I shared a little bit more about myself like I grew up conservative religious background and one of the things that was a facet of, of our life is that we, we didn't go to the theater growing up uh, you know so as a consequence like when I became an adult I, I slowly started going to see movies in the theater like I just fell in love with it and I, and I still like still my favorite format to to see a movie like this in you know, if it's if it's a more intimate character piece, depending on what the cinematography is like, like if it's a really good cinematography, then then I enjoy that on the big screen too. Uh, but movies like this, yes, that's my favorite format. I do finally have a decent sized TV now at my house, so I'm gonna enjoy things like this more. Like once I get like the Blu-ray or the 4K things like that. Anyway, so Batman and Catwoman, outstanding. Um, let's see. Yeah, like, I, I loved, like, yeah, she did an amazing job. Zoe did, like, just the vulnerability there with her as well. Just enough of, of the caginess and, and the playing around. Now that I'm comparing her to Anne Hathaway, Anne Hathaway was a little over the top with the playing around. By comparison, Zoe was felt more real, more down to earth. Like, her character felt more like a real person, honestly. And, and again, again, it's a credit book. Not just to her performance, but also to the writing, the directing, the cinematography. You know, and I'm not bashing Anne Hathaway. Like Anne Hathaway is an amazing actress. Um, loved her performance in Les Miserables, for instance. She's very talented. Um, and I enjoyed her Catwoman performance. But yeah, like this one was better. Sorry. Sorry, Anne. And so he did a better job. Um, as did Matt Reeves as director. Just all the way around better film you know not bashing Nolan's film. I love Nolan's films The Dark Knight as I said was my favorite I think my favorite live action Batman film until I saw this one tonight and this one surpasses it by quite a bit <laughs> um, 
Oh yeah, Paul Dano. I need to talk about the villains' performance. So, I got three minutes left. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm, I'm going to do a deeper dive. I'm, I'm probably going to do a, a, a tandem episode with my friend, and um, you know, we'll do a little bit deeper dive and, and and go back and forth on it with each other. Looking forward to that. Um, anyway, so Paul Dano. Sorry, Paul. I left you to the end here. Paul Dano's performance was was awesome. Um, just enough for the crazy, um, but you also saw the scared little boy, like both he and Batman, and and obviously that was intended. Like there's a there's a synergy between the two of them. You know they were both orphans. Obviously Paul Dano was a poor orphan who, when whose life got worse, and and doing no small part to the fact that Bruce Wayne's parents were killed. And he he talked about the Bruce Wayne. This is in a much darker way than in. Um, the Dark Knight Rises, where it deals some with that, you know, with like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and stuff, like um, in a much darker way. He's like, you know, yeah, you had it easy, Bruce. Basically, you know, sitting up there in your tower with all your wealth. You know what it really means to be an orphan is, you know, what I went through where you got thirty kids to a room, and where every winter at least one baby dies because it's so cold. He's like, we got forgotten, we got neglected, and I love that he kind of like raises up an army. I'm not, I'm not sure if everybody in his army was also an orphan, but like, you know, he got like 500 followers to all, you know, join him in in the final. You know, not all 500 of them were there, I don't think, but like, a lot of people showed up to help him at the end. So you see, in his own way, like he was seeking justice and vengeance as well. Obviously, his methods were not the best. <laughs> Um, and you, you see the, you know, the, the sociopathy at work in him as well. And, and I love some of the choices he made, like, like his, he was kind of all over the place with his, with his voice, which he did a really good job with that. I thought his physicality was good. You like, like you saw the maniacal side, you saw the crazy, but you also saw the little boy. Like there's, there's a point where like, I think the final scene where he's like, He's like kind of, as everything's falling apart, his plan was falling apart. Like he's moaning. He sounds like like a scared little boy in there moaning. And it's just, yeah, just the synergy there is, is great. Penguin, I think it was Colin Farrell, I think. I need to look at that again, but yeah, I believe Colin Farrell played the Penguin. Couldn't tell it was him. I mean, obviously he had a lot of makeup on, but like also just his performance was great. Um, so much better than Dan DeVito. Sorry, Danny. It's not it's not all your fault either, but your penguin sucked. I'm sorry. My favorite penguin was again the animated series Penguin up to this point. Yes, and I did see a little bit of Gotham. Sorry. Oswald the Oswald Cobblepot, the refined gentleman that was in the animated series, was my favorite penguin. But it was great seeing live action penguin again. Uh, I think there's only been three, actually. There was the guy from the 1960s TV series. Um, I, I enjoyed his performance, and that was supposed to be over the top. And actually, I thought he he did great, actually. Um, Danny DeVito, over the top in the wrong way. It just didn't work. It was disgusting, frankly. Uh, didn't work. Sorry. Mm-mm. But yeah, the animated series, Penguin, great. But Colin Farrell, I would say definitely my my favorite live-action penguin performance.
for sure. And I don't, I don't know who played the, I don't know, again, it's a little ambiguous whether it's the Joker or Two-Face. I think it's probably the Joker. Oh yeah, one final thing I'm going to talk about, and I'll talk about this more with my friend. But there at the end, like, with there being martial law declared with the flooding and stuff, I was like, I was getting excited. Like, when the explosions started happening, I was like, oh shit, the next movie's going to be No Man's Land. It's going to, you know. And I think that's coming. Like, I think they're going to borrow heavily from No Man's Land in the next film, which I'm fucking excited about. Because, once again, really good graphic novel. And actually, it was a novel novel, which is where I first experienced it. I read the novel No Man's Land, written by Greg Rucka, I believe. Excellent. I think the graphic novel may have come after. Um, And then somebody also dramatized it uh, in a podcast. I need to find that again. Which was really well done. Like, it was just amateur, like, fan, fan... fan produced you know not for money kind of thing but I, I loved it I need to find that again if it's still on and I'll try to put the link down in there but yeah like I think that's what's coming next and I'm excited like I'm really excited so <laughs> if you haven't guessed by now I'm a Batman fan um, it is the one realm of, of comics that I'm very familiar with um, that I can speak to you know I, I haven't gotten into very many other you know I've read a few here and there you know Never have gotten much into Marvel, to be honest with you. Um, just a little bit here and there, you know, every now and then. Um, I will eventually, like, I think we're leading up. I actually want to try to read some more leading up to the Doctor Strange film, but that's a, another topic for another day. So, Friday night, uh, I'm going a little over my intended goal, so I'm going to gonna stop and call it a night. Um, my buddy recorded his instant reaction last week. Uh, his name is Will. Uh, so I'll be putting that out as an episode as well. Um, might combine these two together into one episode. We'll, we'll figure out how to do that. And then he and I will, uh, at some point soon, we'll do a joint episode together where we do a deeper dive and, and, and just just enjoy talking about this amazing film. Maybe we'll go see it again and then do it after that. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's definitely worth seeing twice. And, you know, mm, so good such a good movie so the batman if you haven't seen it yet get your ass to the theater <laughs> go see it you will not regret it i don't care if you're a batman fan go see it it's an amazing movie you'll enjoy it regardless of whether you've ever liked the batman before now you will after you get out of this movie you want to go read the comics so long halloween check that out first it's awesome catwoman's in it Carmine falcone's in it you know it's mm, batman year one year two Get in there too. The Court of Owls. No Man's Land if you want to get ready. The novel. I recommend the novel actually. Um, by Greg Rucka. So read that if you want to find out what might be coming next. Obviously they're not going to rivet right out of that storyline. But they're going to borrow from it. Hush. Another awesome series. So if you haven't gotten into Batman comics. Those are good recommendations. Like if you want to read stuff that's come out in like the last 20 years. That's really good. All of that. All of that man. Good stuff. So anyway. This is your friendly neighborhood nerd. <laughs> no, wrong one. This is... Ah. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to go out with a little bit of Batman. I am the night. I am vengeance. I am the shadows. I am Batman.